Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Resnik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome, everyone, to this episode. I'm so happy to have here special guest, Dr. Christy Anchevain. She's an OBGYN physician, a life coach, and a host of Habits on Purpose podcast. And today we will talk about her journey and about interesting topic, which is a modality in therapy and paradigm in life, which called internal family systems. So we will learn together about this. Welcome. Thank you so much. We were just, you know, I almost wish we had pressed record earlier because we were sort of getting to know one another. And I wasn't able to say then that I'm just so happy that I get to be here and get to be one of your interviewees because as I've listened to your podcast, I have gotten so much from it. And so it's just a delight to be able to share in this space with you. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It makes me so happy. Thank you so much. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about what you do. So you already said I'm an OBGYN. I did OBGYN private practice for about 11 years. I live in Bend, Oregon, which is in central Oregon. I'm married and I have two children and I discovered life coaching about five years ago and it just completely transformed my relationship to myself, the way I showed up in my marriage, the way I parent, and it made it easier to really enjoy myself at work. And the irony of all ironies was that even though I was enjoying myself at work, I found coaching and I found that I loved it as much as I did medicine, which I never thought would be possible. And so recently I transitioned out of doing full-time clinical medicine so that I could do more coaching. So interesting. And tell us a little more about various modalities that you use in coaching and about what exactly is IFS, what it is. I love that you ask because it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. So you and I trained at the same place for life coaching at the life coach school. And I just love all the things that we've learned there. And sort of like once you learn one thing and you get interested and you want to keep learning more and more and more, I started learning about more somatic modalities and more embodiment approaches where we take into account what's going on in the body, what's going on with emotions, as opposed to just thinking about our thinking in our minds cognitively. And I kind of stumbled upon internal family systems, which as you so aptly described, is just, it's a modality of psychotherapy that is used by therapists around the world, as well as coaches around the world. Oh, it's so interesting. Tell us more about this. Yeah. So internal family systems, I will do my best to give it justice because people have been studying this for decades. And so it is quite complex, but in a nutshell, it's a paradigm, not just for psychotherapy, but it's a way of looking at the mind and looking at the world. And what they basically suggest is that all of us have multiple personalities. That's the shortest way to say it. So they say that instead of our mind being one mind with lots of different thoughts and emotions that conflict sometimes, that we are actually made up of multiple sub-personalities that are distinct and very complex. They're not just these like unidimensional things. And that's why sometimes when we are going through our life, we'll feel like we hear one voice that says, oh gosh, I should work harder. I should do more. And another voice that's like, I think you just need a nap. And another voice that says, if you don't work harder, you're not going to get the awards that you deserve. And we might hear all of this and think, oh my gosh, it's just really noisy in there. And internal family systems sort of helps conceptualize these very different voices 
as distinct personalities. And so if any of your listeners are parents or they've seen the movie, the animated feature called Inside Out, where it's a girl who has all these little, you know, personifications of her emotions in her mind. So she's got the angry one and she's got the sad one. She's got the happy one. And then she's got the one that's just her. That film came out, I think a couple decades after Internal Family Systems was created, but it pretty much explains it. It explains that we have these different parts inside of us and that's what it is. It's so interesting. Do those parts come from like your parents or influences or something? So it's a great question. And again, I'll do my best to answer it succinctly. The perspective the internal family systems has is that we have these parts in us and from childhood experiences or things that we had in middle school or with parents or as we grew up, some of our parts that have all sorts of different strengths and all sorts of different agendas, some of them might take on certain roles in our system that they might not be designed to take on, that might not actually be the part that they want to do, but they do it out of almost like loyalty to the system. So an example would be the founder, Dick Schwartz, Dr. Richard Schwartz, he was trained as a family therapist. So he did traditional family therapy and his take on things was, you know, if you're helping kids with eating disorders, if you can just go in and rearrange the family dynamics so that make the parents get along, make sure that the sister isn't bullying you, arrange things in a way so that, you know, it's very collaborative and harmonious, you'll fix disordered eating, or you'll fix some of these, you know, mental pathos. And so he went to go prove that he was like, I think messing around in the mind and talking about all these internal things is just a waste of time. You should focus on the external environment. So he went to go prove this. And what he found is he did everything by the book and all of his young patients, he was studying patients with bulimia. They kept binging and purging. And so out of like frustration, he went to them and he was like, come on, like, what's going on here? We've done all the things, you know, you've had all the conversations with your parents. We've done all this stuff. What's going on? And when he just sort of like dropped all of his assumptions, they started talking to him in this language of parts. And they would say something like, well, something happens and I feel terrible. And a part of me just feels so deeply shamed. So to not feel so shamed, I go and eat. And then I eat and I eat. And that makes me feel better until this really critical voice shows up and tells me that I'm a pig and I shouldn't have done that. And I feel even worse. And so then I go eat again. And what he realizes, like, there's a part that feels deep shame because it failed. And to the rescue comes another part that says, let's eat some food and numb that emotion so that we don't have to feel completely incapacitated by shame or powerlessness. And then after the food goes in or the binge or purge happens, then the critical voice comes in and is like, okay, this is not appropriate. We can't keep doing this. What is your problem? And starts criticizing not to be mean, but basically to try to get the person to not do this cycle again, even though ironically, it just perpetuates the cycle. So all of these different parts, they have roles to basically help someone not feel completely incapacitated by a really severe burden or emotion, but their approach might not actually be long lasting or work very well. And thus we get into these cycles. So interesting. It's fascinating how it works. So how knowledge about those parts helps? How it helps a person to solve it? I think, first of all, it helps to know that there's a way of thinking about our mind that normalizes having all sorts of conflicting voices and having all sorts of conflicting emotions that sometimes when we think about ourselves as sort of a cohesive whole, it can be really confusing, especially like another example I think is good. You might have somebody that you work with that you really, really like, you respect them, get along well, things are fine. But then you just happen to have a moment where they say something and it really bothers you and you find yourself really angry, out of the blue, surprised. 
like very angry. And this could happen with you know, our kids, with our partners. And when we can recognize, oh, it's not all of me that's angry. It's a part of me that got triggered in the moment for some reason. And this part of me is very angry. And that doesn't mean that I don't like or love this person. It just means that there was a part that was activated. So when we know that we have this multiplicity, it can kind of normalize things that like kind of don't make sense. Like, why would I get really angry at my child who I love dearly out of the blue and overreact and be snippy? Oh, well, a part of me got triggered. So understanding them sort of normalizes that. And then the other way that it helps to understand these multiple parts is to recognize there's always a good reason for why we do what we do. Everything we do, there's some good reason there, even if we don't know it at face value. And so recognizing that there are very interesting, sometimes complicated reasons we do things that are usually driven by our parts can help us get curious about like, okay, I may not understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, but since there's a good reason, maybe I can go find it. And that's such a non-pathologizing view. It is very helpful. And I think it can help to increase self-compassion and compassion to others. I love that you just said that because that's kind of the name of the game is when you can recognize I have all these parts in my system that might be in protective or adaptive roles that they have taken on for some good reason from long ago that may have overstayed its welcome. And I can have so much compassion for these parts. That's when we can start using, you know, what we would call the C's, like compassion and curiosity and calm to approach ourselves and be like, oh, wonder what's going on here. So I love that you brought up compassion because that's basically one of the most important things we can ever do for ourselves. How does internal family system modality, what does it offer when it comes to feeling torn with conflicting thoughts and emotions? How does it help to reconcile them? I feel like you viewed this up so perfectly with your question about self-compassion. The thing that IFS brings to the table that's more than just parts is that they bring to the table this idea of your core essence or yourself with a capital S is what they call it. So they say there's all of your parts, but then there's the part of you that's not a part. And the patients that the founder, Dick Schwartz, would talk with, he would ask them, he was like, oh, so is that another part when they would be talking about something? And they would say, no, that's just me. And he basically discovered that the, I'm going to say parts in air quotes or lack of a better word, but the parts of us that aren't parts that are burdened by some sort of thing in our system, like trying to protect some other part that are just us, they have qualities like calm, clarity, compassion, confidence, creativity. And when we can tap into those characteristics, that's when we can start actually really kindly looking at ourselves as opposed to being like, okay, I have this part that eats too much. And then I have this mean critic that comes on and I hate them both. When we don't like our parts, it's really hard to understand them. And that would be like what I just described. That would be another part, sort of like if we had a board meeting room, you have the person that wants to eat a lot, the person that doesn't like that person, and then the person that doesn't like either of them. And the three of them locked together in a room probably won't get to know each other very well. But when you have like a fourth party that's like, hey, I'm so curious about this dynamic. Like, where did this come from? Why did this start? What are you worried would happen if you didn't act like this? That's that calm, curious self-compassion that can help us with true, deep understanding of why we do what we do. It's very interesting. It seems like sage in positive intelligence method. There is a sage like your higher self. It's awesome. Yes. I think it's almost like the different modalities are talking about something very similar and just using different words, I would guess. And critic too, in the critic as well. It's very similar. It's interesting. And what to do with this harsh inner critic? How does internal family system help to calm down this inner critic? 
the, the first thing is many of the approaches that we'll see like online will say things. And I think I've been guilty of doing this myself where you say, okay, we need to silence our inner critic. We need to banish it, eradicate it, get rid of that mean talk, tell that mean girl, like, no. And this approach would say, okay, instead of trying to get rid of this critical voice, let's get to know it. And sometimes that can be intimidating, but actually it's like sitting down to coffee with somebody that you're intimidated by. It's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. It doesn't sound very pleasant, but the approach would actually be to be like, what's going on with my critic? So I can understand how did my critic enter this role? Like what was going on in my life that necessitated this part of me to take on a role that's so critical? And, and it's when we do this, when I say we get to know our critic, this is actually something facilitated either by a coach or a therapist, or it's like talking to yourself where you go, huh, hey, what's going on in there that you think it's important to criticize me and tell me I'm not working hard enough? And then listening for that other part to respond back so that you can understand what the ultimate positive intent is. And then in doing that, sometimes parts when they feel seen and heard, they don't feel like they need to take over or yell so loud at you to get your attention when they know you're just going to listen when they say, hey, this is my perspective and my point of view. So the approach to the inner critic is to actually understand why the inner critic's there in the first place and what it's doing that's helping with homeostasis in your system so that you can discover a different way. And you don't have to get rid of the inner critic, but you can let the inner critic pick a different role. And oftentimes our inner critic, when you say, hey, is there something else that you might want to do instead? I don't know the statistics on how often this happens, but it seems quite often those inner critics sometimes want to be our biggest cheerleaders. They're like, I actually just want to encourage you. And I'm super detail-oriented, so I can do that really well. And they shift into a role that is much more collaborative. Oh, it's amazing. It's awesome. I just fascinated by various approaches and how it can help with so many situations. Now, let's talk about such scenario. So often we might have a solid plan for something, saying no, committing to self-care, getting to bed early. But when the time comes to follow through, we might find ourselves doing the opposite of what we said we would do yesterday. What's going on here? So this would be my take. And if we had like three hours, I'd love to hear your take too, because I know we've trained in similar but different things. But the way I look at those is the example I would give is somebody who says, okay, I'm going to start getting up early so that I can journal or walk or meditate or exercise or clean my house, whatever it is. I'm going to do something productive because I'm going to get up early. And that sounds like a beautiful plan. We would say that that is one part, a very organizing, forward thinking, you know, proactive part that is present last night. Then in the morning, when it comes time to get up and what you hear in your mind is, why even bother? The last time I tried to do this, it didn't stick. I should just not even try. Or I just need some sleep. I'm going to press snooze. I just don't feel like it. That would be another part that's present. So yesterday's part is probably asleep. Today's part is really loud. And so what's going on is you say, okay, so this is the part that's present for me that wants me to press snooze or this really ambivalence is why bother. And sometimes in the moment, there's nothing to do other than just be like, okay, this is just a different part that has a totally different agenda than yesterday's part that wanted me to get up early and retrospectively to look back and to explore. But sometimes in the moment, what we can do is we can say, okay, so why is it important to stay in bed? Why is the ambivalence there? And what we sometimes will learn is like, we might've tried to do this in the past. And let's say we tried really hard to get up early and exercise and we failed. And then somebody told us you're never going to make it. Like somebody really close to us is like, I mean, you just aren't somebody that's good with habits. You're probably going to just never be able to be a runner. And we feel terrible. So instead of actually trying again, it's easier to just have a part that comes in and says, oh, why bother? 
than it is to risk feeling deeply disappointed or powerless or ashamed. So then we go, oh, there's a positive intent behind wanting to press news. Okay. It just doesn't want me to feel as terrible as I did last time when things didn't go as well as I wanted. So we approach this all from the perspective of like, there's a good reason why I want to do everything I want to do. And sometimes I need to sit down and basically have a three or four way conversation between my yesterday self who had a beautiful plan and my morning self who really does not like that plan and come up with a collaborative plan that seems reasonable to all parties. Oh, it's so interesting. Wow. And now let's talk a little more about our habits, especially I love your podcast, Habits on Purpose. So let's talk about habits and what helps, what three tips would you give to someone who wants to change habits? So the first thing I always want anybody listening to know that number one, if they find their habits hard to change, you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're not uniquely defective. Changing habits is something that is difficult for most of us. And for good reasons, most of us have not been taught things that are actually practical and effective. We've been taught to like willpower our way through things. And some of us are so good at that, right? You know, you've been through so many trainings, we can push through almost anything. But when it comes to habits, I think one of the number one things to do is to acknowledge that all of our habits are solutions for something. So if I have a habit of pressing snooze, that is solving for something, either it's solving for sleep or it's solving for me not feeling like I failed. They all solve for something. And once we know that our habits solve for something, then we can have so much compassion for ourselves. So I think that's always number one. And then number two, I think with so much awareness of being like, okay, there's a good reason I do what I do. What is one small, tiny and concrete thing I can do to move in the direction of the change that I want? And being super tiny. So meaning like if you wanted to like exercise the easy one to talk about, if you wanted to start walking every day and you want to start walking more than you do, then you come up with what is the easiest thing that I could do that almost seems laughably silly. Okay. I could walk five minutes twice a week. No problem. Like it should seem minuscule. And then you just do that and commit to doing that. And then what you do is you anticipate all the obstacles, knowing that it might be time to walk five minutes and it sounded so easy, but you might not want to do it at that moment. And if you don't want to do it, that just means there's parts of you that are present and you get to listen, be like, oh, what are your objections to following through on the things I want to follow through? Like, do I feel bored? Do I feel restless? Do I feel, you know, dread? Do I feel shame because I'm not doing it? What is there? And when you're open to listening to the obstacles, then you can start making plans for them. And so those are the three things. Acknowledge that all the habits are solutions, make a tiny, tiny plan. And when you follow through, be super curious about what comes up for you that makes it hard to follow through so you can learn and anticipate for next time. And then like the bonus is just to be super curious. I think once we're curious about what gets in the way, then we can be so much more reasonable. It is awesome. Anything else you would like to teach our listeners what could be helpful for them in making their life easier and more joyful? Gosh, I love that you asked about making it more joyful. I mean, this just pops into my head right now from talking with you and seeing like, I wish people could see like you have this beautiful smile. You are super energetic. You are very passionate about what you do with your patients and with your coaching. Thank you. And what I feel like I'm witnessing is I feel like I'm witnessing that you have found a way to tap into joy and curiosity and compassion for yourself. And I would say for the listener that maybe feels like a little stuck and feels like, okay, it feels like drudgery. It doesn't feel like joy all the time. Number one, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. It is available to you. But I think the thing to think about is if you want more joy, think about the times where it's been easy to have joy. So if there's been times where it's easy to have joy, I don't mean like when I went on vacation at this beautiful place, because that would mean that joy is only available there. What I mean is if we knew you went on vacation at this beautiful place, you felt joy, what was it that you were thinking? What parts of you were present when you were feeling like deep full body joy? Because once you know 
what you're thinking and what you can do to sort of invoke joy, then you can start trying to bring it in even when you're just in your car, like waiting at the drive-thru, because then you'll know what you're thinking, which might be something like, this is amazing. This is everything. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Whatever it was. And I think finding those tiny little moments here and there, even if they're just like 1% of your whole day is a good start. It is beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And for our listeners who would like to connect with you and to learn more, what would be the best way? And if you can tell us a little bit more about your program and about your coaching. Yeah. So I keep everything simple. Habits on Purpose is where all of my things are. So like you, I host a podcast also. It's called Habits on Purpose. And I love having new listeners because I think it helps all of us because what I talk about are not necessarily just the behavioral habits like your morning routine or how to stop procrastinating. But what I really love is to talk and teach about the hidden habits we have. Things like overthinking, second guessing, always coming up with the worst case scenario, beating ourselves up, those types of habits that we don't even sometimes notice we do that I think they rob us of joy, you know, to use your word. And so I talk about that on my podcast a lot. My website is habitsonpurpose.com and I do private coaching for clinical and non-clinical people, but I mostly work with physicians in my group. So I have a group program that's called Habits on Purpose for Physicians. And we really do a deep dive into all the reasons why the physicians have the habits they do so that they can understand themselves better and come up with really practical ways to start being intentional about their thinking and be intentional about their life. It is very helpful. And I'm going to put in our show notes a link so our listeners can easily connect. Thank you so much for coming today for this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. Have any topics you'd like covered? Send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week. See you next time. The Voices of Women Physicians podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well-being, decisions, and results. Dr. Resnik is a practicing physician But Voices of Women Physicians podcast is not reflective of the opinion of her employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.